Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 445. And much like Peter, I'm not sure the Doctor would do mini-golf and sushi either. I'm Keith. <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I suppose it depends on which Doctor. Yeah, the I could 11th, totally... I could totally see doing mini-golf. Yeah, I was just about to say that, actually. And sushi. And probably sushi. I don't know. It's fish fingers and custard, sushi. Yeah. Well, it was just during the regeneration, though, I yeah, but he still preferred fish fingers and custard later. That's true. Maybe sushi and custard. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> you guys doing any fun this week? For the record, I am not trying that on the podcast. I just want to put that out there now before anybody gets any ideas about a challenge or a, a, a listener thing and a prize. No, not happening. <laughs> Sean, did you do anything this week? I watched Frankenstein. The original? The original, which I'd never seen. You'd never seen that one? Nope. I missed out. I told you I missed out on all what of them. What kind of movie buff are you? I, it was a horror movie. I didn't watch it. I'm just now catching up on all these. Well, what'd you think of it? Um, it's iconic and amazing for what it is. It's unfortunate that I'm catching it so late because there have been so many other variants of Frankenstein, and quite honestly, all of them have, well, almost all of them have been better. They've all done the story, and they've all, you know, taken those bits and pieces of Frankenstein and done it, you know, that well, but then fleshed it out and done a lot more. Uh, so that's funny, it. because I don't think anybody's done Frankenstein as well as the original, or I even would go as far to say the Hammer horror film. Well, mm-hmm. let's see, honestly, I haven't seen those either, but, um, like, uh, Young Frankenstein, I mean, that was the one I grew up with. That's the one I'd seen, and I knew they were spoofing it. But I didn't realize that they weren't really spoofing it. They they, they just did Frankenstein, right? right. You know, just I did mean, it as a comedy. There there are some jokes, but even the stuff that well, and it, it serves seems as like a, a joke is it, not. No, it's in the movie. It serves as a rehash, but quasi sequel as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I say quasi sequel because it's not officially linked. But anything else? No, that was pretty much it. We watched The Secret Life of Pets 2. It was okay. I wouldn't give a huge... You sure you didn't watch anything else? <laughs> Harrison Ford was born to voice animated critters, and I don't understand why it's taking him this long to do it. <laughs> he was the best part of that movie. I was really impressed that they didn't rehash a lot of stuff from the first one, that it wasn't just the same jokes trotted back out and in a new context, that they did something different with it. And some of it I thought was pretty good. I really liked the stuff with Max and his uh, owner's son and going out to the farm. Everything else was kind of, meh. I thought it was a funnier movie than the first one. I haven't seen the first one, and I have no desire to see the first one or the second one. (laughs) Someday, I'm sure. Jim actually kind of paid attention to it. So that's why we watched this. We thought she might like it. Anything else? That's all we did. What about you, Glenn? Ah, same old, same old. Watched, watched a couple of movies that we're going to review. <laughs> we went to World's Fun on Saturday, took shy. Ah, Caitlin had a vocal concert tonight. So, All right, well, let's move on to news. We start off with some sad news. Stephen Moore has passed away. Uh, he played the Silurian Eldane in Cold Blood, um, Hungry Earth, and then later in The Husbands of... Not The Husbands... The Wedding of River Song, right? Oh, that's right. He did come back yeah. for that one. Was that the, was that the name of the uh-huh. episode? Yep. Yeah. Okay. With I'm the, doing that one from memory because it's not in this article. <laughs> with Churchill and the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that one. He also voiced uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android in the radio and television adaptations of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hmm. Our thoughts go out to his families. In other news, a little happier news, uh, Doctor Who will have a presence at the London Comic Con this year. 
they have announced that there will be at least four different panels, including one on the collection, which is about the box sets, and there's they get to see never the Blu-ray. Blu-ray, yeah, Blu-ray the Blu-ray box sets. They get to see some of the bonus features of of season twenty-six before anybody else. Uh, there's going to be a one about publishing, one remembering Terrence Dix, one about the new Edge of Time VR game, and the big one, in my opinion, is <laughs> one about the animations, where they talk about the uh, upcoming The Faceless Ones, show a clip of The Faceless Ones, and according to the description, world first announcement of new animation with a clip. So we get to find out what next story they're doing. Woot. This is all in two weekends. October 25th through the 26th. As always, if any of our listeners are going to be at this con, um, we extend the invitation for you too to be a roving on the street reporter for Traveling the Vortex. <laughs> and we will happily uh, take your, uh, your, your, your news and... Uh, provide you an outlet for it absolutely yeah that's right absolutely so i have to say that i I really i know it's completely out of character and not going to happen but the the collection panel i would really like them to walk out on stage and project a gigantic map uh like the marvel movies do (laughs) of what box set is coming out in what year and in what order i I just the release schedule you know for, for, for the next phase four uh, of, of Doctor Who box sets. Right. <laughs> I think that would be cool. That would be cool. What do you think they're going to animate next? You think they're going to keep going with Crouton? They've been on a big kick. I'm kind of surprised they're doing faceless ones still. So, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, uh, if they're if they're shooting for getting a Troughton season or yeah, Trouton season out sometime. They might be Gary. I mean, so what? I, I I sort of think maybe it's going to be Evil of the Daleks. Although in that season, I suppose we have power now. We don't have Highlanders. We do have Underwater Menace, albeit a recons with that one. The moon base. Watch, that's what they're going to announce. <laughs> Underwater minutes. We have the moon base. We have now, the moon right? base. Uh, Macro Terror is finished. Faceless Ones is coming out. So Evil is really the only one left besides Highlanders in that series. It would make sense that Evil would be the next one. Season 5 would be Tomb, which exists. Abominable Snowman, which doesn't, with the exception of Episode 2. Ice Warriors is finished. Enemy is back. Web is back, and Fury is not. So, actually, Wheel from Wheel Web, in Space. Web is back minus one. Right. Uh, Wheel in Space is yeah, but I was it, I was counting anything that had recons. That's why I said Underwater Menace. That's had a release. Yeah, uh, Wheel in Space technically has had a release because they did the did they ever reconstruction do a DVD for in the UK? no, they haven't. They've done a reconstruction <laughs> for BritBox, but they have it available if they decide to do that. Yeah. Space Pirates is the only one missing from uh, season six. That would get them a so what, season to be released. So do you think that they'll announce that they're <laughs> that so that they can release Troutons? Because that's the only one that has not seen a release in a Trouton season. Space Pirates. Yeah. A bunch I'm of putting people, my money down on Space Pirates. I bet a bunch of people balk, but I bet because that one, uh, common fan perception is that it's not a good story but we have found that you can't oh, rely on common, yeah, you, really you know can't. fan perception because if that was the case nobody would have liked um enemy, enemy of the world and oh, yeah. enemy of the world ended up being great and a lot of people you know uh reveled in it so and that was one of the ones that was supposedly one of the clunkers so i don't know we'll see is it possible that we're just on that high of having new Who back? You know, new, well, I new don't old know. Who back. I have revisited uh, Enemy of the World, and it still stands up yeah. as a good. We really have too. Good story, I mean, it's so. every time I go back and rewatch it, it's like, man, this is great. <laughs> well, you know, with the release of um, Mission to the Unknown as the remounts, yeah. I wonder if they'll do uh, the Daleks' master plan. I think the 
challenge for that one would be twelve parts. Well, no, no, <laughs> well, the length, no, yeah. No, it's, it, they wouldn't have to do twelve because I've got there's only what, three two? of those exist. No, three. Uh, Escape switch, Dave Armageddon, and Counterplot all exist. Uh, they probably likely would not uh, animate or even bother with Feast of Steven because yeah. it's it's really not necessary. Uh, so that would leave you with what uh, five and then if they released Mission to the Unknown on that set then they may just call that good the, that might get they, its own they, just Blu-ray yeah set. well if it if it does it if they do the uh, the, uh, the, 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 re, the remake in that season Galaxy 4 technically has a recon although it's an abbreviated one that was on um, what disc was that the on the Aztecs Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mission. In, in but it was gone. good. Mythmakers is gone. We don't. We don't have any of the Mythmakers. Um, Most of this season. The Celestial Toymaker doesn't exist. Savages doesn't exp- <laughs> exist. I guess that's just those three particular stories. Four particular stories. Yeah. So if they did that, Keith might be right. They might decide to do Dalek's Master Plan as its own thing. So. Who knows? I guess we'll find out in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. You know. I think I put my money on the Troughton one just because there's some heavy hitters in that season that I bet they would like to get out in the hands of I think you're right, fans. especially since they've got a good chunk of those already animated. So Yeah. All right, what else is in the news? That's it. That's all that's in the news. All that's fit to print. All right, well, shall we move on to feedback? Our feedback this week comes from Jamie. Jamie says, hello, Vortexers. I'm just going to cut to the chase and get straight to my comments. Episode 146, the 2013 missing episodes, Enemy of the World and Web of Fear. I have to admit, I prefer Enemy of the World. Web of Fear was good, but I barely remember any of it. Enemy was very memorable. Troughton in the dual role, very James Bond-like plot, very memorable villain. Milton Johns as a henchman. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I wonder if they'll ever animate the still-missing episode of Web of Fear for a special edition DVD or Blu-ray release. I understand why they used the retcon at the time, especially to quickly get it out for iTunes, but feel this would be a prime candidate for animation. It's just a single episode, enough time has gone by since the initial DVD release, and I'll take the animation over retcon any day. I took audio over retcon anyway. Ghostlight. It's been a while since I've seen this. I remember it being a bit confusing, but still fun at times. I remember the things you hate speech and that annoying song, but otherwise... (laughs) That song's not annoying. It's very charming. (laughs) As for the author, Mark Platt, I usually enjoy his work. Spare Parts and The Civil Turk were excellent, and I quite enjoyed The Butcher of Brisbane and The Cradle of the Snake. I suspect that behind-the-scenes drama of the time may have affected Ghostlight negatively. Fires of Vulcan. I enjoyed this story. But while it's a good story and it really gives Mel a chance to shine, I find it boring and had trouble getting through the first half. On I the... can see that. I really enjoyed... <laughs> you had the same feeling, didn't I you? I really enjoyed that story, but I, I can see that from the first half of that. It was There was a lot of setup to that. Yeah. On to episode 147 and the Ninth Doctor. I really don't remember that much of the revisited. I agree that while it's great for introductions to the Doctor, they're all kind of lackluster. Caitlin's Ninth Doctor retrospective was great. Very well done. As for my retrospective of the oh, night, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brought back that some. Was right uh, about then. As for my retrospective of the Ninth Doctor's era, I enjoyed the Ninth Doctor. He was very well done, both in writing and acting. I do think we could have gotten another season with him. Just a handful of novels, a comic run, a few audio stories now, but there is more than thirteen episodes. On the other hand, when discussing a second season, I'm torn. I would have loved to have seen another season, seen what Eccleston could have would have done with the Doctor. But on the flip side, the way he went out was fantastic. In some ways, it was perfect, and I wouldn't want to change it. Chris, despite his negativity about the show, played the lone Survivor War veteran to perfection. I would love for Big Finish to be able to secure him for some audios with Rose and then with Jack. I wouldn't say Nine is a favorite Doctor, but he's still good with a rather short run. His biggest claim to fame is he's responsible for the return of Doctor Who being a success, a success that has lasted 14 years and will hopefully continue for many more. Episode 148. Enjoyed the opening with the Moody Blues. I'm not a big Halloween fan for celebration, so this book hasn't moved up real high on my list to read. As for Death Steel, it sounds like a bit like Midnight. I have listened to this one, but it's been quite a while. 
You mentioned liking Catherine Tate's reading of the story, and I would direct you to the Tenth Doctor audio exclusives such as Dead Air and Last Voyage, part of the new Doctor Adventures. Episode 149, Terror of the Zygons. I really enjoyed this story. Found the brig in a kilt hysterical. The Zygons are one of the better-designed classic Who monsters and have been done well in their appearances over the years. That is an interesting opinion, Jamie, because I think most of fandom disagrees with you. I think they're cool, but I, I don't know that, that many others do. They're kind of always lamb-blasted. In fact, we were concerned when we heard that the Zygons might be in the 50th. Are they land blasted? Yeah, hmm. aren't they the giant suckers and? Uh, well, I mean, I think they don't. I don't think they get any more kidding than some other Doctor Who monsters, but yeah, maybe the I, maybe, maybe, maybe it's the Loch Ness monster aspect. I think that that's, that that's what a lot of people <laughs> yeah think is cheese. I too also enjoy Benton and would like to point out he has appeared on audio. Unit assembled springs to mind at least with at least one companion chronicle. I can't wait to get to more Benton. <laughs> Episode one fifty. Enjoyed your comments on Thor The Dark World, one of my least favorite MCU films. Chris Reckleson was nearly unrecognizable and just kind of boring. On the other hand, I believe you guys predicted both appearances of Spider-Man in the MCU and Disney's buyout of Fox. Well, I'm going to have we? to go back and listen to 150. Well, aren't we good? <laughs> the Led Zeppelin feedback song. Impressive. Most impressive. Good job, Glenn, and thanks, Scott, for suggesting it. I enjoyed the 10th issue of Prisoners of Time. It was just fun. The Dominators were used effectively. The art was excellent. Would love it if you guys were to start reviewing Doctor Who magazine comic stories. As for the Damons, see what I did there? I enjoyed this one, but I feel it wasn't a favorite. Everyone was good, but for whatever reason, it just didn't stick with me. And finally, I'd like to broach a subject that might be worth a full episode. What does the Doctor Who feel? Oftentimes, you, and I use the term you very loosely, will be watching an episode or serial, or even listening to an audio or novel or comic. You finish and think, that really didn't feel like Doctor Who. So what is that this feels like Doctor Who? The whole concept of Doctor Who is one of experimentation and renewal. The early years were very experimental with a wide spectrum of concepts. You can have pure historicals, vampire stories, hard sci-fi, and who knows what else. Is there a Doctor Who feel at all? What is the difference between not feeling like Who and just being a bad story? You can have a story essentially Who by numbers that's awful, and a story that makes you wonder if you're even really watching Doctor Who that's awesome. And again, part of it's all in the eye of the beholder, and often comes down to personal preference. Talon's Wen Chiang is a prime example that's perceived to be one of the best, and yet you guys, and me, don't see what's so good that everyone raves about. Anyway, that's it for now. Keep it up, Jamie. I, I think you make an interesting point. I've often thought about that when sometimes we say, you know, it just doesn't feel like Doctor Who. But I think it's, uh, I think that there are a lot of bad stories too that still feel like Doctor Who, and I mm -hmm. think it's because of that Who by Numbers idea of there's a lot of familiarity in a story that it really feels like a Doctor Who story, and it is subjective to the individual because. I think stories that are reminiscent of when I was watching Doctor Who in the 80s, the, 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 the uh, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, uh, those stories for me is what cemented what Doctor Who is. And yes, there's some variation in themes, but there's always still kind of a, 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 a feel because those, because those actors put such a stamp on those. And so I think that because that's my familiarity, that's my gauge for what feels like Doctor Who. I think also the new series, probably Eccleston and Tennant, kind of formulated a what the new series should feel like as Doctor Who for me as well. But he's absolutely right. It is, I mean, it's always been experimental. It's always been very, you know... Uh, changing in theme and tone and things like that. Yeah. So there really is, it is kind of unfair to say, well, it doesn't feel like Doctor Who, but I think also the ideals of the Doctor have to be there in order for it to feel like Doctor Who in some cases too. So I there's, there's a the, varying degree. For me, that's the biggest thing is the, the ideals of the Doctor and the ideals of the show need to be there uh, for it to feel like Doctor Who. The core ideals. Yeah, yeah. I agree. We'll have to investigate that further. Thank you, Jamie, for, yeah, for that, thanks. too. I think you that was well said, too. All right, well, shall we move on to our reviews? The Air Zone Solution 
It's the near future and the environmental and environmental catastrophe looms. The public is given gas masks as the toxic air alerts increase and it looks like the earth is slowly dying. The British government turn over the problem at, to the services of the big but secret air zone corporation. Reporter Al Dunbar investigates and after discovering the solution that air zone corp is planning, he dies. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Amazon, thanks. Yeah, no kidding. I got nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> There's no dun dun dun. There well, Sean, is what'd you definitely think? not a dun. It is a lot of fun to see this particular group of actors together in this way, playing not these characters. It is quite disturbing at times to see certain <laughs> of these actors together playing scenes that you would not expect them to play. And um, most of it was enjoyable from the acting standpoint. This is a terrible script. I just... I, and I'm shocked because it's uh, written by uh, Briggs. It's Nicholas Briggs, isn't it? I didn't think he wrote it. I didn't think he wrote it either. I thought for sure I saw that. Oh, it sure is, written by Nicholas Briggs. And uh, so, you know, obviously he gets better. A lot. A lot. Um, and I wonder if it's just one of those things that maybe it just didn't translate well. Maybe the ideas were there, but they couldn't get them across on screen because, wow, this one was rough. And there's so many little idiosyncrasies that are that are just, are just wrong that wind up piling up into being big things that become wrong with it as it goes on. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was glad it was only an hour. <laughs> And change. Yeah, I was just say it was a little over, I think, uh, six, 65 minutes. Keith, what'd you think? I thought it was okay. I don't know if I'd go as far as Sean, but I thought there were some cool ideas in it that almost felt like it was an idea he had had for a Doctor Who story and had to strip the Doctor out of it, and so he had to come up with something else. Um... And I, I do agree that the acting is very fun to watch, seeing these people play different characters than we're used to. I think Colin Baker is a fantastic weatherman. <laughs> I think that is perfect casting for him. Um, and everybody else kind of goes along and plays their parts, I think, really well. Um, seeing Nicola Bryant and Colin together was a bit shocking. And I just kind of, I kind of just chuckled because you know it's the Doctor and Perry. So did you know they had that scene together? Had you guys heard? I didn't no, know. I didn't know. In about fact, it at I all. quite honestly, I went through. I wasn't sure that was Perry at first. Uh, yeah, I was in the same boat. I went through a good chunk of the movie, not really aware of it, but man, she sounded familiar. And then Mel went, she really sounds familiar. Is that Perry? And that's when I went click. Oh yeah, that is Nicola Brent. Oh my God. And it, well, just... <laughs> it wasn't that late for me. It was, you know, you kind of got a glimpse of her before that scene. And then I wasn't entirely clear once we, the scene started who it was. And then later, the next scene, oh, that's, oh, and look, that's Nicola Bryant. Okay. I tend to forget that she's not American. So when she's speaking with an English accent, it's kind of, you know, you are a different person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, was really surprised to see Alan Cumming in it. Yeah, that was that was the big shock for me because I knew a lot about this movie. I hadn't seen it, but I knew a lot about this movie, but had no idea that Alan Cumming was in it. <laughs> in fact, he showed up on screen once, and I went, "That no," because Alan Cumming is Alan Cumming. When you see him, you know it's Alan Cumming. But oh, yeah. he has some very what you think quintessential British features, and so I have seen people that sort of look like Alan Cumming and he was just young enough in this that I thought maybe that's not Alan Cumming but then again he's just young enough and this is just early enough that maybe he did do do you know do this uh, as an acting gig and cuz this would have been before um uh the James Bond Goldeneye um mm-hmm. would have been right this around was, this was just after the show was hiatus forever yeah 93 uh, 93 so oh was it 90 yeah it was a, a lot it was later than i thought years, it was so. yeah uh four years but um 
so I, I kind of thought, okay, it's, and I, I really did have to go to Wikipedia and go, <laughs> yeah, that sure enough is Alan Cullen. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll two, yeah, two years later, he's in Goldeneye. Yeah, um, I liked this movie. Really? Yeah. No. Now I'm coming from it from a little different perspective, so I can appreciate the reason why I probably liked it. So I've known about this film for a long time. And I knew that it was a BBV and I knew that it had all of these actors in it. And I knew I even knew about the I'd heard about the infamous Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant scene. And so I was very prepared to go into this because we've watched some BBV stories, which have, in my opinion, some of them have been pretty good that I've enjoyed. Uh, Downtime. Fantastic. Um, but there's been some of them that we've watched. I think Autons were, or uh, not Autons, the, uh, well, those are, but Zygon, uh, Zygon being ones. you just isn't I enough. I think those are BBV. Um, <laughs> so we've, we've seen some that I thought, uh, you know, it just, sometimes they feel like they're trying, but they don't quite hit the mark. Um, and so, and, and um, uh, I've seen Shakedown, which in Shakedown I, I quite enjoyed, but from more from the fact that it connects to Doctor Who nostalgically. Um, so, but I knew going into this one that BBV does some, you know, pretty low quality work as far as, you know, they were early in, in on and they were, you know, quasi amateur, quasi professional. So I set the bore really super low for this one <laughs> because I've been avoiding watching this one as well, knowing what I know about it. Um, and I just, you know, I, maybe I just turned my brain off, but I really, th- I, I like the story. The story is good. It's very intriguing. I think that it suffers from its wrap up at the end. I don't yeah. think it quite hits the mark uh, there. Um, Cause the but, mystery and the buildup is, I thought was really well done. Yeah. But it also really feels like these uh, kind of eighties and nineties British, you know, drama thrillers that, that were always on um, uh, PBS that, that I'd catch from time to time. Um, have seen even more recently when when we started seeing all the different streaming networks. So it, it, it really kind of felt in line with that style of storytelling. And I I thought Colin Baker just nailed the mark. He was the best thing about oh, this. Oh, very yeah. much so. And he really feels like the star of this, even though we've got, you know, well, four of the, the, the actors that played the Doctor in this. Now, Pertwee... More uh, of a cameo. And, and it really is. And, it, and I think part of that comes down to the fact that they had this already written, prepared, and set out. And then he heard that they were doing it. And he came to, uh, I don't know if he came to uh, Bill Braggs or if he came to Nicholas Briggs and said, why am I not in this? And so they <laughs> added him later. And so that's why some of the parts kind of feel like they're spliced in. I could Maybe I noticed it because I knew that was the story behind it. Um, maybe it didn't feel spliced in. Maybe he felt like he was supposed to be there. I see. My, I've already retconned that though. My headcanon is that that actually is in fact the third doctor. That is the doctor, right? Yeah, and that he's well, he making sure knows. that these events go the way yeah. you know that they're supposed to. <laughs> um, but no, I just, so I had it's had so much going against it for me, knowing that we weren't going to have any Doctor Who references, knowing that there, these guys weren't playing the Doctors or were playing other characters. And and just I really sat down and I thought it was a, a a terrific, I thought it was a terrific movie. I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it, it also it was fun to see all these guys play together. It was also kind of fun to see them play a little bit against type. Um, I think even McCoy, who probably was the most typecast in my opinion, uh, that seems like what that doesn't that didn't seem very doc seventh doctor like, but it seemed very much what I don't know maybe like McCoy would be kind of a Real life, if he wasn't an actor, you know, he'd be kind mm-hmm. of that not not paranoid <laughs> uh, uh, eco warrior. But I think that I totally think he would. I be. think he just, <laughs> yeah, but very, very fast talking, quick witted, that kind of, you know, that that sort of thing. Uh, Colin Baker being very kind of, you know, see, I think he was kind of cast towards the do- sixth doctor, but rises above it in his performance. Yeah, well, because he is, comes off initially very kind of brash and self-assured and kind of a lot of things that the sixth doctor is very I, full I'd of take, himself. I take brash out of that, but I would say full of himself and self-assured. And self-assured. And yeah, yeah. And he, he very much is, I'm the best. I know what I'm doing. And, but a lot of little humorous moments too, you know, when he's on right early on until he so a little self-deprecating, sees. but, um, and I think even Peter Davison, maybe there's a, there's a spark of what you expect from T Peter Davison. There's just there, such, but, 
a little bit of Peter Davison in it that yeah. it's hard to tell. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's not in it very yeah, long. I don't know. I mean, as truly himself, because I'm not sure what to make yeah, of him I as a ghost. So. I felt bad, but I watching Peter Davison, he was really, really trying to be this gung ho, um, hardcore investigative reporter, and I just wasn't buying it. Because he, he also he felt did. like he should have been ten years younger. <laughs> like he should have been a young, plucky Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen type character instead yeah, of maybe. Peter Davison, you know. But yeah. uh, it's just, I, and I, I think it's just because Peter Davison is so affable. He's he's just such a nice guy, and everything I have seen him in previously, you know, from Doctor Who to All Creatures Great and Small, he's been not the nice guy. And so when he's up there swearing and throwing things around and trying to, it's like you're not a tough guy, dude. <laughs> just I'm not. I'm just not buying it. Well, yeah. I don't know. He still came across as a nice guy in this, though. He just—it was—it was a nice guy that didn't couldn't really push for <laughs> what he was. He was I, too nice of a yeah, guy. Exactly. So, that yeah. was the problem. Is he was too so nice he of a was guy. killed. <laughs> yeah, that was a shock. <laughs> I honestly was not expecting that turn. Oh. Also, didn't expect Michael Wisher in this. Yeah. Um, as the, uh, I guess he was head of the Ministry of uh, Environment. The, the Secretary of the yeah, Secretary of Environment. Environment. Um, didn't didn't expect that at all. I had that had that was another surprise for me. I was like, oh, I didn't realize that's who that was. I didn't recognize him at first. Yeah, well, I I saw him and I kept looking at him, and it was one of those where I know the face, and then I went, I was oh, obviously, you know, yeah. that, that, that's why I know who this is. Um, gosh, no, I just I enjoyed it. Um, I was a little hesitant to you know. We, we we had to kind of well, I think we felt like we needed to settle on this one because there's really no film that these any of these three guys are in that really fit the category of what we're doing. But I think the whole ghost element of this it kinda worked. Made it work for, for being, you know it's obviously an environmental thriller, mm-hmm. but it's got some supernatural to it and uh, I thought it worked really well. Yeah. So a thumbs up for me. I, I th- it's not one that I would watch oh, although being at sixty five minutes it makes it palatable to watch again, but it's probably not one that I would watch again soon, but it is one that I would watch again down the line and, and, and probably enjoy it as much. And I thought I would be bothered by the, uh, six doctor and Perry in bed. Uh, <laughs> but I, I thought that I, though they, they played off of each other so well and they were so uh, Nicola Bryant was so different from oh, Perry yes. that I, it bothered me none that it, to me it was, these were two people that were in a relationship that were in love and it didn't, I didn't see, Oh, that's creepy that, you know, Paula oh, Baker is in bed with Nicola Bryant. And I, it, I, I totally, it did I not bother me. Totally day. bought it until later when I realized, Oh, that's Nicola Bryant. <laughs> then it was like, Oh, but you see, know, I knew at that, that point it was in, already so, over. And I was way, also so. prepared for it because I knew that was a scene. I didn't realize it was three scenes, but <laughs> well, and, you know, <laughs> We we talk about Colin being the star and how, I mean, he really does carry this film, and it's, it's a lot of it's through the charisma of his character that he's putting on screen with this weatherman who becomes kind of obsessed with 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 finding this truth out. But it's in the the quiet scenes with, as you mentioned, the relationship. She carries a lot of it. Nicola carries it. She is really the anchor of all of the non plot stuff yeah well, even she contributes a lot to the plot stuff because she kind of brings stuff to his attention and right he takes the ball and runs with it yeah and and, and so I, well yeah you're right i don't want to say it that way but well and she said she's the one that believes him and sets him on the path when they go to the house the first time the keys in the jar blah 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 and so but then she does kind of you know she stepped back because she's got something else she's got to work on she's going to prepare for this forum that's coming up but does put him on the path with the materials that that could help him so yeah, no, I agree. And, and then also later, you know, her supporting him and backing him up when you know he's going up there and he's, I have to do this, and she's like, okay, yes, do it. Yeah. So. But yeah, no, she was she was truly wonderful, um, and the, the pairing between the two of them was was great, and you can tell if you've never seen them at a convention together, um, that they have this fantastic off camera relationship as well that they're just the best of friends. Yeah. But I thought that really shone through here. That I felt like they were able to, you know, kind of tap into that yeah. to play this couple, which was really great. Um, so yeah, that I, I don't want to say that I, I, you know, I don't want to come across that I hated it. No, I don't. I, I don't think you're coming across that way. Just, yeah. th- there were just a little bunch of little things like, okay, so we've got this, you know, toxic air, and everybody gets a gas mask, but then nobody wears them. <laughs> 
through the whole movie. It's like, I mean, well, I get it. You don't want to cover your one little area. Yeah, I, I, I get it. You don't want to cover up your actors with this thing. It's... There were a lot of times that they had the masks on. No, it was also, yeah, yeah. There in fact, there's, there was a, only there... when they weren't talking. Well, yeah, but there was a there... very small handful, and it was almost never the. But main they, group. but they also pointed out that it was only certain times of day. So that was part of the weather of crash, and only in certain areas that, that was needed yeah. in certain times. So yeah, you've got Colin fear mongering up there, going. It was very always keep your mask handy and keep it on you because it's going to be bad tomorrow. And then they drive all over town with no masks on. And I'm just thinking <laughs> yeah, to myself, you're nitpicking now. Uh, no, I'm, I not, I'm not. I think it was very obvious that this is th- that to me is one of those. You know, your world building. There was those one people that were wearing the masks in the street. The woman almost lost hers, and then it, a car ran over it and smashed it. Yeah. And then we never see them again. So it's like, well, it's only well, it's for these people in these areas. <laughs> she died. She died the yeah, well, our, our, I'm, I'm our main cast never went to the bad areas. I think you're. Ma- I, I I'm, I'm I just saying that. Fair, I don't think it's a fair. No, I'm, I'm just saying that if you're going to world build in that manner, it's already a science fiction film. Come up with a rebreather or something that doesn't block the actor's face that you can. You know, a patch or something. Like I don't a, know. I, like I, a gill. I kind of liken then, it. I kind of liken it to China. They don't always wear the masks over there. They do frequently, but they don't always. And there are certain conditions where they don't need them. And I, I, I think well, but okay. So I like think the you're, scene, you're nitpicking. This, it. The scene where Colin is driven out in the middle of nowhere and then thrown out of the car, and he stands there for a minute, like, "Oh man, what do I do now?" We just saw a guy that was found twenty miles from. Peter Davidson was driven 20 miles from his house and found out in the gunk, and they thought that's what killed him. Right. But he's not phased by it at all. And apparently he walks back to town okay. Well, he was phased by it because they got attacked, but they weren't they weren't the target. It was the girl that they were harboring. Right, but I mean, he's, he's, he's not now concerned that I am in the wilderness with well, he, no mask. He, he since then has realized that the He's the weatherman. He knows where him. he's at. Yeah. I just thought they made a really big deal out of it because that was the hook of the whole environmental crisis plot and then didn't pay off enough with it. And then come back with the ending and the quick wrap-up with, oh, this is what they're doing is they're they're in, they're implanting these things into people and you're going to wind up with a, a wide neck and, and being able to filter that out. I didn't see the twist of Alan Cumming being in my phone. Either. <laughs> no, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Your your points are invalid. All right. Oh, so. <laughs> well, the other thing we haven't talked about is we had, uh, Nicholas Briggs not only wrote it, he acted in it. Yeah, too. I think he did a good job. Yeah, I was very convinced. <laughs> He's afraid to say anything. Now. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to shoot him down. Yep. <laughs> Nick's always good as an actor. I yeah, mean, you he know. really is. I think also I because he wrote this and I didn't I didn't realize this until you brought it up but I uh, I think because he was most familiar with it he probably had the best grasp on his character as well. Oh, yeah. The other guys were handed this material and did a great job but you know you you kind of have to give an actor credit for writing his own material. You know you know how it's going to be performed no matter how it's directed. You know what you wrote. So. And he the character is a little bit of a one-note character anyways. It's you know the hard-nosed news director type character so it's a little yeah, easier but, to play but but <coughs> gets that growth towards the end i mean it's yeah. not ma- massive growth he, ch- he changes his mind and lets them go ahead and stay on even yeah but he also p- portrays that in a way that in my opinion came across as oh this will be great tv and good ratings not yeah, so much yeah. oh yeah we need to do this to get the information out well yeah, he was I he was very perry white i think it was yeah. a little bit of both but yeah or or or, or jonah jameson yeah he was, like, he was like yeah we're gonna go ahead and do it how many how many papers are we gonna sell today? How many viewers are we gonna get? All right, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> he was very much cut from that cloth and in that mold. I was okay with that. Yeah, yeah, he did a good job in that role. All right, anything else about this one? It wasn't terrible. So Sean hated it. But I didn't <laughs> hate it. He thought it was okay, and I loved it. I didn't love it either. But <laughs> this is certainly not in the so bad it's good camp that Lair of the White Worm was in. Well, no, and it's because it's certainly a, a different even tone and approach because this one was taking itself seriously. And even if it doesn't feel like it hits the mark, it tried. So I think that's the important thing. Oh, editing. Yeah, that was the other thing the that was really distracting. Was to it. The, there, there was a bunch of... Yeah. Um, which almost made me wonder if there's... 
a longer version of this that they trimmed down to an hour and change. That could be. There, I don't even think the editing was bad. It was almost the, there were these time jumps that didn't really, weren't really smooth. Yeah. In fact, they would have benefited from some maybe dissolves or something that would have at least put you in the mindset yeah. of, a, of a change of time instead of a, a, a straight cut to another time with the same actors. So. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think what, I think your comment summed it up nicely. It was tolerable. <laughs> it would be tolerable to watch that again that's tolerable that, that's that's where i can go with it <laughs> all right well should we move on to our next one fright's nights when a nice new neighbor moves in next door charlie discovers that he is an ancient vampire who preys on the community can he save his neighbor from the creature with the help of famous vampire killer peter vincent bum 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 did you like it i did like it <sighs> i <sighs> I think I suffer from there's nothing like the original. And the problem that I had with this movie, I, I enjoyed it. It's not one that I could watch over and over again, and it has a lot of problems. But I think the the biggest problem with this is the first one is schlocky, and that's why it's it's charming and endearing to me, because it is schlocky. And this one, while they went for the schlock, it's almost like if you're going to do Fright Night again, let's do something a little different that's not... Because... that. This, with the exception of some setting and some character changes, the it, it really does parallel the original film. And you could argue that, well, when you're make, doing a remake, you want to make it you know similar enough that it's recognizable. But I had kind of hoped that it didn't hit exactly all the same beats that I think the first one does. And I think that it, it's down to... Chris Sarandon in the first one is schlocky but believable as a vampire. Colin Farrell in this one is schlocky and and does isn't taking the part seriously most of the time, or it feels like he's not taking the part seriously. Yeah. It's almost like sometimes it's like he watched Chris Sarandon in the first one and then said. How do I step that up a notch? You know, and that's 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 what it really felt felt like. So, unfortunately, because Farrell's through the you know the heavy through the majority of this film, there's a lot of that. I thought that brought the film down. Um, yeah, I wasn't overly impressed by him in the role, um, and some of that I think is just I don't like it when he does an American accent in general, especially when you're kind of a. I I think it would have been a nice touch to have him put on the American accent initially and then once the discovery that he's an actual vampire let it drop and show okay yeah I'm really old and I've got this accent that I'm hiding so that nobody asks questions I thought that would have been a nicer touch than just keeping the American accent because it just doesn't work for me it I'm also, taken out of it it also bothered me to sit there and watch Anton Yelchin and just thinking He's not going to be in anything anymore because, you know, oh, he yeah. tragically died. And so that was kind of hard because I had forgotten he was in this. And so when it started, and I don't usually have that effect with actors that have passed and I watch him, you know, Alan Rickman, that was tough to watch the first couple of films. But uh, but maybe that's the reason why is because I hadn't seen anything with Anton Yeltsin for probably since he died recently. Probably since Star Trek Beyond. That's probably right. And so it that just sitting there having to watch that thinking oh man he's no longer around and he was you know he was a really good actor and had a lot of promise but so that was in the back of my head as well which that's that is that situational though that has nothing to do with the movie with you, though. that has yeah. nothing to do with the I, I had quality so many feels over the fact that here i am watching anton and i really enjoy anton and i've liked him and everything that he's been in and he's so just promised as an actor and he's gone now and here i am watching him again and i, I it was tough to get over that yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, I think the other mark is I think that I, I like what they did with the uh, Peter Vincent character, which is changing him from a horror movie uh, host to or midnight yeah late night horror movie host to a illusionist that uses vampire shtick in his in his show. I liked the idea that they changed that, but I so much liked what Roddy McDowell did with the original character that this wasn't effective enough to have that character in this 
even though David Tennant did a fine job. In fact, I saw shades of um, uh, Crawley. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> in him, and I kept thinking, oh, okay, so he must have kind of harvested some of this character for for that. But um, I didn't just I didn't feel like the character was bold enough until the end. I think David Tennant pulls the character off, but I wanted the I wanted the revelation of of Hunt, even though Roddy McDowell's character goes through the same thing, where he decides, well, I'm going to help this kid out with what I know, knowledge that I know, but I'm not going to get involved. And then he does get involved, but he also, you know, he goes through the cowardice moment because he recalls the same thing. But I don't know. I just I think the the take that they did with Roddy McDowell's care, uh, portrayal of of Vincent was much better than where they went with this. How one. much of that? Do you think it's because Roddy McDowell was older than David Tennant in their role? How much of that can you contribute to age of his portrayal of it? You know, of it's not doesn't seem as cowardice because he's kind of an older guy and doesn't think he can really contribute as much and then changes his mind at the end. That's a good point. I have to think about that. I think mine comes down to the fact that I grew up watching Roddy McDowell <laughs> and I loved him so much. Well, Every, yeah. Everything that I saw him that I just, I'm holding this... Um, nostalgia for it, but uh, maybe I could see that. I could see where that they, they play the character older, yeah. obviously, and he's as opposed to this young hip, you know, magician right. vampire show. I agree. I I wanted, I wanted the stage persona that he kind of exhibits. The the I, I wanted the long hair rocker. We're gonna go out and do this. Okay, let's grab our stuff and go kill vampires. Kind of vampire hunter to show up. And instead, he was like, nope, done. going to go hide in my panic room and be over with. And I, I think maybe I needed a, a, a little bit more of a confirmation from him that, you know, when, when, when Anton comes back and he's talking to him going, dude, you know, can you help me with this? I, I wanted him to say... Have you seen my performance? I am a fraud. I am well aware yes, of this. Yes, yes. That yeah. would have sold it better. And, yes. and that you're absolutely makes right. the, the, the cowardice work for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head. It, it was just missing that element of admittance yeah. to, you know, it, it is, it's all a facade. It just, all, everything you see is fake. So, yeah, no, I, yeah, because well, otherwise I, the self-realization almost comes too late. They're trying to portray that, I think. Yeah. But it's not coming through. See, I kind of got that impression in their initial conversation, and when as he's stripping away all the facial hair, which and all comes of that, too soon, in my opinion. That maybe they should have moved that further back. Yeah, yeah. Because as soon as all that came off, and he's like, "They're not real," I took I that to me came across as I'm a fraud. This is all fake. I'm making it all up. I'm just collecting all this junk because I can, and you know. So I think in conjunction I, 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 that's with where why it comes I didn't have an with, issue with that. I think with where it can comes in conjunction with the, the the conversation that they're having as he's peeling these layers of his performance off, it almost comes across more like he's just blowing the kid off. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Could go either way. I think my other issue, and again, I, 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 I hate to judge a remake based on its original, what it's remaking. But again, there's just so much nostalgia. I just think Evil Ed was. I know why they did, why they got McLovin. <laughs> I never can remember the kid's real name, but Christopher Men's piece. Yes, I know why they got him. And but it was almost stunt casting because he was in so much stuff at this time. It's oh, kind of yeah. the, the nerdy kid. I. It just it missed the mark for me, and I think it got really bad. When the confrontation between Charlie and him at uh, Vincent's place, it I don't know that just it didn't work for me. He didn't I, he he didn't sell it. he as the the nerdy friend that was you know gung ho about this is vampire. We, we I bought that, but then when he's after he's been changed and he's you know having the confrontation with Charlie that, that I just didn't buy it. It didn't work for me at all. And maybe because I don't even remember the actor's name, but the, the kid that played Evil Ed in the, in the original one, again, so creepy and so perfect for the role. So mm. I was glad that there wasn't a whole... I'm not a big fan of the current, the new Ed. 
actor, so I was glad he wasn't in it a whole lot. You know, McLovin. yeah, McLovin, <laughs> uh, especially, and I think it kind of did benefit from his turning evil and the confrontation not being drawn out throughout the rest of the end of the movie. I kind of yeah. expected him to stick around through the climax, and I was glad that they dispatched him early enough that they could move on to deal with Jerry. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, there is a straight. I didn't. I haven't seen it, but there's a there was a straight to D, or straight to video sequel to this version of to Friday. both. Well, right? yeah, there's one from <laughs> then too, but this one has a straight to video, and Evil Ed apparently shows up again. It's not the same actor, but the Evil Ed ends up showing up again. Huh. <laughs> and I thought, how did they pull that off? That work. <laughs> Interesting. Who's in it? I, it's a bunch of people I didn't recognize. Uh, I, I mean, recognize none of these actors come back, right? No, 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 not in the not in the next one. Like I say, it was straight to video. In fact, it 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 barely got greenlit. So, of course, the same character comes back. Yeah, Charlie Brewster's back. Yeah, the characters return, but it's not any of the same actors. Mm. Jamie Murray, uh, from Dexter. You'll know her picture if you saw her. Is plays the vampire. Who was she on Dexter? Lila. Oh, Lila. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now, I thought this movie had a, a lot of... Um... Well, we should mention you're coming to this with fresh eyes because you've never seen the original. I've never seen the original. Mel was quite shocked. She says, what do you mean you've never seen the original? I said, have you seen the cover of this thing? It's got like this terrifying <laughs> vampire ghost clown on it. It's like, no, I'm not watching that. I had no idea what it was about. Um, that terrifying ghost, ghost clown is what he looks like in the film at times. <laughs> well, maybe I won't watch it. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's good. It's really well done. Um, and you know me. I don't, I don't, the, 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 this, this whole experiment when Beyond the Doctor this time out has been kind of a challenge in some ways because I don't do a lot of horror. But um, I thought there was a lot of moments that were fun. And worked really well, specifically the, you know, can't, he can't come in unless you invite him in, which is one of those almost forgotten nuggets of vampire lore, it seems like. I mean, it's a big deal, but at the same time, it, it's almost, other than Lost Boys, it doesn't seem like it's there's a big enough deal made about it. Yeah. And so when he comes over and he's kind of just, I'll invite you guys in for a drink, but it's a place is a mess, and he pauses. <laughs> and there's just... And nobody invites him over, and he's standing there waiting. <laughs> and then later, when he comes to get the beers, I think that confrontation was pretty intense. I thought, yeah, oh I, yeah. I, I mean, it was intense, but it was also, I thought, very laced with humor. Yeah, oh, yeah. When, yeah. When when they're sitting there and just, and he looks down, and the camera keeps panning down to the, the threshold of the doorway. <laughs> and he, I loved it. That part was great. Um, I liked the. Um, the horror elements of the hidden uh, hallway with the locked doors uh-huh. for all of his victims. That's kind of, yeah. <laughs> and the reveal of the trap door that goes down into the basement yeah, where they're all buried, really cool. and that was really nicely done. Not something I saw coming. Very no, cool. No. Although I... I think I presumed that he was working on the basement with all the concrete. Well, I figured he, he was digging the basement up, but I didn't. By the, by the time the, we got to the reveal, yeah, I had forgotten about that the aspect. Little, the little jail rooms, I didn't expect to have trap doors to drop into that basement. Right. So, yeah. When it when they initially dropped the lines initially of the basement, I just assumed, you know, he was ripping out the basement to either bury himself or uh, his victim so they yeah. could rise, you know. Yeah, same boat. I'd kind of forgotten about it until I got down there. And then it was, oh, the lair. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Obviously, he doesn't hang out in the living room with the Lazy Boy recliner and the TV all the time. He's got to have a lair. And then when the things started coming out of the walls of the lair, like, <laughs> That was pretty cool. You know, it's funny. You were talking about how... Shades of Salem's Lot. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how you were talking about how it's often forgotten about, you know needing a, an, an invitation to come in because the writer wrote on Buffy and so worked with Joss very heavily. And there's so much of this movie that 
seems influenced by that and I don't know how much of, I can't remember the original enough to know how much was there previously that was the invitation stuff was, and, and that's yeah. part of overall vampire lore but even you know there's a Scooby gang reference and even down to the dusting of them where you kill a vampire they turn to ash all that's all stuff Buffy did too. So, so that, it's interesting how it's a Buffy writer and a lot of those things are there, even though a lot of them the, may have the, come from the, the thing original. is the reason they're in Buffy is because they're vampire lore. Right. But he in turn puts a certain spin on them that gives them just enough of a touch. So you recognize that those yeah. are Buffy references as opposed to vampire references. Right. And I agree because I felt that way through this whole film. It felt like, it felt like a big screen version of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I think is... And I think even down to why. some of the humor, is, yes. that's why, well, is because she wrote on the show. The, the timing of the timing of it and things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. I think that's a large reason why the remake works as well as it does, is because you got Marty Noxon to write it. Although I think maybe she's what took the schlock a little too far, but <laughs> some of that could be relied on the actors too. On the actors, I, I, definitely. There were times I thought there wasn't enough schlock. 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 schlock yeah. The actors too, I think, are part of what makes this so enjoyable, but also part of what makes it kind of schlocky. Because <laughs> aside from Jerry, it seems like everyone is taking it pretty seriously. Oh no, I agree. <coughs> I agree. And, and Ed. I think Especially Ed, once Ed becomes a vampire, I think doesn't well, seem to be taking it very yes, seriously. I think that's probably true. Although that comes across, but that works well as a character. Yeah, that comes across very Buffy too, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In fact, the way that he portrayed it was reminded me of early Buffy, anyway. Well, and even like a lot of of what's her face, the girlfriend kind of standing up for herself. I don't yeah. really remember that from the original. No, 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 no. As much, I, I, so. it, this certainly was a a uh, written for a more modern era. So. Yeah. Did anybody else get wrapped up when she broke out the display case and got the revolver, and they did the you know the close up of the silver bullets? But that's did I, everybody else kind of go, oh yeah, and then once she started no. firing them, go, oh yeah, well, no, <laughs> no, that's the brilliant thing as because soon as she yeah as soon as she picked that gun up, my first comment was. Well, you should learn from Love at First Bite that that only works on a werewolf. And she shoots, and he says, werewolves. But what was clever, although I wish she hadn't telegraphed it. I wish she would have just done it. But what was clever is that she grabs the holy water, throws it on, and says, vampires. Like, so she knows. Right. But I I think what screwed that up for me was that she looked around like, I've got to look for my next thing. I would have rather have her just have known it was there it and, and grab it. it and throw it and then say vampires because then it would have it would have given her more credence as being forward thinking about that yeah. kind of thing. So. What, I, what I really liked about that scene is there are some vampire mythologies where silver does stop, slow them down. Won't necessarily kill them, but you can capture a vampire or you know, tie them down with silver and they can't move. So they can be bound in silver. Yes. Yeah. So the fact that you could shoot one with a silver bullet and seriously damage it, if not kill it is there in some of the mythology. So it's a thing of, well, do, we don't know in this mythology does silver work. Just like the references to garlic of eh, who knows if that really is going to make a difference or not. Well, it, so it, it plays with the overall vampire mythology. If you know, a lot of different stories that have different variations of lore. Well, it certainly works as a as a mechanism in the, within this film too, because uh, Peter Vincent is collecting vampire right weapons and protections and things like that. So obviously, in here there is some effectiveness to silver bullets, but or at least some lore that thinks there is. Right, right. And I was I was also really excited talking about lore when they were at the side of the highway. And he's threatening him with the cross. And Jerry drops the line of, you got the cross, do you have the faith? Because I've always loved the idea that the symbol isn't what matters. It's the faith behind the symbol. Right, right. That you could use the Star of David against a vampire just as effectively as a cross if you're Jewish. Yeah. I have always loved that idea. And I thought they were going that direction. And it kind of seemed like they were because it wasn't overly effective. 
but it still had a little bit of effect, so I wasn't sure where they were trying to land on that decision. Yeah. They wanted to have they wanted him to have a little just, bit of faith. Just enough faith for it to be a glimmer of hope and but not enough to this isn't where the movie ends. Right. Boy, I sure telegraphed the sign stakes though. Real early on. <laughs> when she's loading them in her car near the oh, beginning yeah. of the movie. I thought, oh, I know what those are going to happen. I know what's going to happen with one of those, at least. <laughs> Which only happens halfway through. I kind of maybe thought that would have, that would come up Not later. the actual resolution of well, it. Well, yeah. or, or near two. But, um, yeah. Well, that, I saw that, those. That was, I thought, well, great. those are wooden stakes right there. And sure enough, she uses one. Oh, and especially when he drops the line just before it. Have you ever been staked before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how agonizing it is if you miss the heart. You yeah. Know? Well, they had to give us that so that when she does stake him, we know why he doesn't die. Right. Well, and not only that, when he goes to stake Amy later, he knows where to hit her so he doesn't kill her. He's conscious of not putting it in the heart. Yeah. Well, and then having uh, Peter Vincent say when in the final confrontation, go for the heart. Right. And the fact that in that time you can actually see it's exposed because he's burning up. (laughs) That's a lot easier to hit there. That was a fun movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought it was good. I just I I was holding it up against something that is from my nostalgic childhood, and it just it didn't quite get there for me. But well, it's got some marks against it. I mean, the we we commented a little bit on the 3D effects, which <laughs> simply do not hold up. Well, it's it's hard to watch a. Did I when this came out in theaters, was it marketed as a 3D film? I, I mean, surely so. they must have, but I don't remember it. I remember it coming movie. out on Blu-ray as, a as 3D. one of the 3D yeah. pushes. So I don't remember that at all. In fact, but having not remembered it, watching and seeing all of the gimmicky type 3D things in it, then I was like, "Well, this must have been marketed as a 3D." I think film. 2011 was what kind of the height of you know. Push, everything needs to be 3D regardless. Yeah, because Avatar so. was 2009, so yeah. yeah, everything jumped on that bandwagon pretty quick. Yeah, well, they they learned really quickly too to kind of marvel at the the depth and scope of 3D as opposed to the gimmicky things that yeah. they used in the 50s yeah. and 60s, which were obviously heavily used in here with the the casting of the camera and the. Pointing. I can't imagine this in 3D though. It's already dark enough. I can't imagine having 3D glasses yeah, on during yeah, it. That's too. true. That's true. It would have darkened down a lot more. Yeah. All right. Well, Sean, what do we got to come up on the schedule next week? Well, we've got a couple more films for our Beyond the Doctor as we continue down this descent path of madness. Uh, second Doctor Patrick Troughton in The Omen, the original. I worry for you on that one. <laughs> How did you hold up on this one, Sean? Considering you don't like the horror movie stuff. On um, uh, this Fright one, Night, uh, Fright Night was okay. It's, this is more in the action horror type. Yeah, this is yeah. this is more. I think it's the, the, the trippy psychological horrors, or even maybe more the slasher horrors that are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know I've never I've never really enjoyed the slasher movies, but I've never seen them. Like, it was probably three years ago that I saw Halloween for the first time. I've never seen Friday the 13th. I've never seen a, a, a Jason's Friday the 13th. I mean, yep. Yeah. yeah I've, never seen, I've never seen a Jason. I've only seen the one Michael Myers. Um, but you've seen the Freddy films, because didn't we... Did you watch them on our marathon back no, in the day? No, you and Wade got started early, and I had seen... I've seen New Nightmare, which... Of course, I didn't get half of it because I didn't because wasn't it's there so for the, self-referential. But I loved the concept of it. Yeah, okay. Which was I thought was really cool. But so much of the slasher genre anymore, I feel, is if I go back and watch these films now, I'm older and I'm not going to be hit with it at that same, yeah, you yeah. know, in that same manner. But the other side of it is, I, I enjoy a good, um, like a psychological thriller, like Hitchcock or something along those lines. But a lot of horror films, as the slasher genre kind of progressed, became gross-out yeah, horror. Yeah, yeah and, sure. and that's something that I've never, you know, okay. never particularly cared for or enjoyed. And so there was a lot of that kind of idea is just kind of, nah, that's not my thing. So, we don't, watch, okay. don't watch Terra Firma. 
But like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm making an effort. Like I said, last year I, I, I hit I hit a bunch of the big ones. I hit The Shining. I hit Poltergeist. I hit, you know, stuff that I had never... Christine. You had never seen Poltergeist? I had never seen all of Poltergeist oh until gosh. last year. Wow. So... Well, good for you. This is this has been a, a three year project, and it's ongoing. <laughs> so. And now he's finally getting to the Universal monsters, and, and finally getting to the Universal monsters. Huh. I'll be darned. Which I've got what uh, um, Invisible Man, the Mummy. So the Omen, creature, and, and then now what's the what's the next one? <laughs> uh, so we've got the Omen, and then uh, um, Matt Smith in uh, Patient, oh, Patient Zero, Zero yes. which is the zombie one, and the following week. We decided for yeah, sure on the it's three. It's kind of right? along the uh, lines of 28 Days Later Zombie. Oh, okay. We decided all three next, uh, the following week, right? Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> we're, we're still trying to get a hold of one. But Assuming... the one that we didn't think we were going to get a hold of, we do have. So Right. There's the other version we can watch. Yeah. So. so we've got Eye Monster with First Doctor Richard Herndl. Which may get moved. <laughs> oh, it may. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we do have another version. It's on that. Daily Motion. It is on Daily Motion. Yeah, okay, we're okay. We've got Afraid of the Dark with Eighth Doctor, uh, Paul McGann. And then we've got Midnight at Madame Trousseau's, or Midnight at the Wax Museum, depending on where you were at, with First Doctor William Hartnell. And that'll be the and following week. If you're that. following along, good luck getting hold of that one, because I had to actually buy a copy of that from a dealer <laughs> who had a copy of it that was ripped because it's out of circulation and out of print. So we were fortunate enough to get a copy of this, but it is not readily readily available anywhere without jumping through some hoops. So, And then into November, we're going to do a book review of uh, The Pirate Planet by Douglas Adams and James Goss to finish off our Douglas Adams novel. <laughs> approaches <laughs> so you might want to start reading that one if you haven't yet very good I'll have my notes open <laughs> uh, be sure to check out the website for uh, all of that information and updates as they become available while you're there you can click on our patron link and consider supporting us and remember you can send your comments to feedback at travelingthevortex.com or by clicking on the send, back, send feedback link until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. <laughs>